If you're like me, you've dreamt of becoming an accomplished musician and the satisfaction it can bring you. But there's hidden traps in the path to creating a musician's dream sound placed by ill-informed tutors and some online and real-world educators. We are forced to answer hard questions like how to grow as amateur musicians using time learning our craft intelligently, or how to achieve pristine musical sound quality without sacrificing wasted dollars. Finally, those questions and more can be answered after 20 years of research, trial and error. Follow this podcast while I expose missing pieces of the musical puzzle to take you from hours of musical frustration to feeling the excitement of musical excellence. You can join the journey on musicsecretsexposed.com. I'm your host, Sylvia, and you're listening to the Music Secrets Exposed podcast. Hey, hope you're all doing good. As I record this podcast, it's in the middle of a pandemic. It is January 2021. I dropped a few bombs in the last podcast. So if you haven't heard it, I suggest you go back before you continue listening to this one to give you some basic information first. I remember my first few years of musical education so clearly. After the basics were put into place during the first year, I was automatically signed up for annual exams without much choice. The academic year would begin in September and conclude in May or June in the following year. The very first exam year was a nerve wracking experience. I wasn't the most confident child out there, to be honest. There were three pieces to be learned with scales. Lessons were 20 minutes in length and only towards year end were sight reading tests and oral training included along with theoretical elements connected to the pieces. More on what they all mean a bit later if you're not sure. As a side note, I don't agree with this approach entirely, but more on that later. My practice sessions at home were done on my own, tucked away in the corner of a sitting room separated from the rest of the house. There were days my willpower gave out, but I had an inner agreement with myself that if I would try my best, there would be nothing more I could do if I failed. I would be happy with a basic pass mark at year end. In other words, my expectations were low. Facing the exam was just nerve wracking, to be honest. But it also was an internally strengthening experience, which I've come to realize. The examiners were always friendly and chatty and my marks were pretty good. But I never connected with any other musicians in any meaningful way. And it ended up being a solo journey that challenged me more than any other task I undertook. Moving from primary into secondary education was traumatic in a number of ways. A number of curveballs were fired at me, but I found music studies in secondary fascinating. While my piano lessons remained steady in the background, music studies gave me a frame of reference that helped me place society, historic events and more into something I could tangibly understand. It developed my problem solving processes and helped me to grow my internal coping skills when dealing with difficult situations. Faced with a whole new set of circumstances, I disappeared into the background even more. So music was a means of expression that otherwise, well, I don't know where I would have channeled all my inner emotions at the time. For the first time though, I saw the competition between music students, but I recoiled. 
working diligently to pass my exams and remaining quiet and uneventful. However, looking back, I now know that even though my early musical years were uneventful and grey and somewhat removed from excitement, I developed skills that have come to my aid more than I can tell you about today. So it begs the question, why learn music since for most it won't probably generate a future income or it won't be a career path? Throughout my years as a student and now as a tutor, I have learned that music is like therapy, that once included in life's experience, it can pay dividends in a multitude of ways. It provides a mode of self-expression, helping the brain to become more connected, fire up new neuron pathways, help the problem-solving side in the brain, as well as the creative side. Music is like a language all of its own. For example, it has been scientifically verified that a student learning piano and constantly playing the instrument from a young age forces the brain to connect in a way that no other activity can do. But this also is true for other instruments. Anita Collins in a TED-Ed talk provides this fascinating insight. Quote, did you know that every time musicians pick up their instruments, there are fireworks going off all over the brain? On the outside, they may look calm and focused, reading the music and making the precise and practice movements required. But inside their brains, there's a party going on. How do we know this? Well, in the last few decades, neuroscientists have made enormous breakthroughs in understanding how our brains work by monitoring them in real time with instruments like MRI and PET scanners. When people are hooked up to these machines, ta tasks such as reading or doing math problems, each of corresponding areas of the brain where activity can be observed. But when researchers got the participants to listen to music, they saw fireworks. Multiple areas of their brains were lighting up at once as they processed the sound. Took it apart to understand elements like melody and rhythm, and then put it all back together into a unified musical experience. And our brains do all this work in the split second between when we first hear the music and when our foot starts to tap along. But when scientists turned from observing the brains of music listeners to those of musicians, the little backyard fireworks became a jubilee. It turns out that while listening to music engages the brain in some pretty interesting activities, playing music is the brain's equivalent of a full body workout. End quote. Look, this insight begs the next question. What about the common reputation of hideous, boring music lessons and boring music theory and just this kind of consistent practice every day of the week and so on, year after year, month after month, week after week, day after day. Look, we all know Rome wasn't built in a day, therefore meaning a step-by-step -step approach is needed, at least in the early stages. In the last podcast, I made reference to four key areas that, I've, that I have observed can make or break the musical journey. One, the effect that a suitable environment can have long-term on a student. Two, how to develop a healthy body and mind, including the role of a musical community. Three, the role of the spirit and how to include it in the development of musical expression. And fourth, how to develop good habits compared to an over-dependence on willpower. So what should a lesson look like for an average student? 
So let's look at beginners to early intermediate level as this is where most fall into. In my opinion, lessons should include the following in bite-sized pieces. First, upbeat pieces for technique development that bring joy and a high vibration. Secondly, sight reading. After all, music is a language all to itself. Sight reading is the ability to read music at short notice after looking at it for about 30 seconds. Thirdly, a little written music writing. What you learn in practice when written on paper is solidifying new knowledge that you were learning practically. After all, why do children get homework in school? They are writing what they are learning to solidify what is new to them. And fourthly, include oral training in lessons. This is where many fall foul of traditional music learning. Oral training is not included. Oral training is where some exercise is played, the student listens and has to respond in some certain way. Now, this means that lessons need to be at least 30 minutes per week or longer as needed. In the olden days, it was normal to have two 30-minute classes per week. How about that? I think really that we can learn a lot from the old masters. To be honest, I do think exams are a good fit for many, as it's a tangible reward to drive for, but they should not take over the whole music experience during the year. This is where I see the need for musical communities to be established in contrast to amateurs putting out videos trying to showcase what they can do on, you know, software engines like TikTok or YouTube. Listen, I could say a lot more here, but that's a topic which I'm going to delve into in a future episode. In the next podcast, I'm going to dive into how we can create an environment that strengthens and inspires good habits above a sole dependence on willpower. Many have come up to me and asked, Sylvia, let me ask you a question. I've started learning music, but I am stuck. I can't get the sound I dream of. I've spent time and a lot of cash. I'm so frustrated. Or a parent has often asked me, I have a child who's not getting the results that we expected. I've invested a lot of dollars in music tutors and musical equipment. I'm so unsure, what can I do? Sign up for a free webinar at musicsecretsexposed.com where I'll walk you through what you can do to get you or your child on the best musical path right away. My greatest joy is to save you heartache and frustration and replace it with the best musical version of you. Don't delay, capacity is limited. Open a tab and let's get you started at musicsecretsexposed.com.